We are a quick people. <clears throat> I, uh, my friend text Brother Gaddy this morning and said, tell Brother Shelton to preach number 37, I believe it was. And uh, that's a running joke between me and him. I know there are some guys that uh, they keep very <laughs> detailed records. And if they preach in a certain church, then if it's been a year or two years and they go back, they can just type that church's name in that pulls up their file and uh, they know what they preached on what day and whatever. Unfortunately for you, I've never preached with a note in my entire life. I've tried. It was a disaster. And I don't know what I've said where and how many times I said it. I do know that I was in Maryland one time, and uh, I was there preaching this time, and it was nine months. And for nine and a half months, I read that, that first Sunday morning, there was this verse of scripture, I think it's in Malachi. Uh, then they which feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord heard it and hearkened unto them. And a book of remembrance was written for them, before him, for them which feared the Lord, I believe is what it is. Well, I preached that morning from that verse of scripture, and that evening I walked to the pulpit, and the Lord said, go read that again and start there. And I said, Lord, what in the wide world? We did that this morning. He said, you think you got everything out of that this morning, do you? No, sir. And so for nine and a half more months, that was the only verse of scripture the Lord would let me read. And it got to the point, one night we were leaving the house, going to church, and I said, oh, hold on, Bishop, i got to go get my Bible. He said, just leave it. We all know what you're going to read anyway. <laughs> and uh, for nine and a half months, that's what I did. And now sometimes, I'd, they just put it on the overhead back there. I didn't, they'd have it up there before I ever got to the mic. And sometimes the Lord dealt with that verse of Scripture, and sometimes he did not. And uh, I don't know if that was an exercise in humility for me, uh, or what the purpose of all that was, but my point is I have no idea if I've said some of this to you before. Uh, if I have, then you'll just endure it. But I want to read John chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, and you can just stay seated. <clears throat> That's another one of our traditions I don't understand. Have I had this on long enough? My neck is entirely too thick for all that. Uh, John chapter number 2, verses 1 through 9. <clears throat> and the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Now, I'm going to just tell you, I grew up in Northwood, Arkansas, and in my southern upbringing, I've, I can just tell you right now, that is not a southern Arkansas custom to say to your mother, woman, oh, no. That's one of them Middle Eastern deals. You don't do that here. Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour, but I say hour. It means time. My time is not yet come. 
His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast. They bear it when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was. But the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom. And you know the rest of that story. He goes on to talk to the bridegroom uh, about how wonderful that wine was, and that you know, it was just an amazing situation. But the point of all that reading there was that one word, really, our. <laughs> now, I'm not one of these people that feels like I have figured out the timing of the rapture. Uh, as a matter of fact, if he says something different, he's right and I'm wrong. But I, I am more convinced right now... Uh, than I've ever been at 54, that the Lord is not going to reveal to anybody the day he's coming. Um, I think we might be getting a seasonal nod. Uh, every time the Lord enters the earth realm for any reason or entered a different area of the world, it seems like there's always a herald that goes out ahead of him. And someone is announcing his coming. But uh, when it comes to the rapture of the church, I don't, I don't think that we're going to get a uh, day, a week, or even a month, or even a year. But I do think that God is giving us a heads up right now that we are in that final season of the church age. And I think it would behoove all of us to pay more close attention now to our eternal direction than we have ever paid to it before. I, I know when I was a kid growing up in the church, uh, do y'all mind if we just meander along here a little while? I'm going to do that now. If y'all don't like it, you can leave. But uh, I remember as a kid in the church, um, they preached about the rapture all the time. And in fact, there were three topics they preached about. Heaven, hell, and the rapture. And I mean, they, they preached those three things every solid week. And sometimes every service, they found a way to weave that into everything they were talking about. And we lived, I did, I can't say we, I don't guess, but I lived with an abiding fear of God. Um, in the North United Pentecostal Church, we made copious amounts of peanut brittle. And um, it was delicious. And I enjoyed going down and helping make it because them that were especially filled with peanuts just slipped right out of my hand and I couldn't control it. And they'd land on that table, well, then we had to eat it. Sister Chance would get pretty upset with me and she'd tell me, I know you're doing that on purpose. I said, I'll do better. And so... I made peanut brittle. My sister and brother and I went with mom every Monday night, and we were just making a fire out of some peanut brittle. Well, when I would be deer hunting or squirrel hunting and get a little carried away out in the woods and forget to get there in time for peanut brittle and miss it, 
by the time I knew mom should be home, uh, I'd start sweating a little bit because they just preached last night about the rapture. And peanut brittle making was about the kingdom of God. And I thought, the brother has come and got his bride, and I was in the deer woods for the love of God. <laughs> and so I'd call down at the church. And if certain people answered, <laughs> I sweated even more. Because <laughs> I knew they probably wasn't going any quicker than I was. Are y'all still with me? And then some of them other folks that answered, and I'd feel this great wave of peace. And <clears throat> I'd never be so happy as when my mother's headlights would turn in the driveway, and down the driveway she'd come from the great peanut brittle making. But there was a sense of awareness with me, and, and I think most of us in our church grew up with it, that there was... Uh, in, in the 70s in Sulphur, Louisiana, C.R. Free was our pastor, and that was who I got the Holy Ghost under. And Man, when Brother Free got to preaching about, whew, son, that man could preach about hell in such a way that you thought you had already gone and didn't realize it. And it was a climb out to get to that altar. I'm, I'm climbing out of this pit, I'm going to that altar. And at eight years old, God filled me with the Holy Ghost because there was an awareness that came to me that whether Jesus came in my lifetime or not, after my life was over, I was going to spend eternity somewhere. And then there came an age in the church where those types of things were not real common because they were not um, socially as acceptable as they had been when I was a kid. And priorities had changed. And after all, Jesus had not come uh, quite like they thought he was, so... We've got time, and especially after that 88 reasons in 88 debacle. Uh, and then we had an oops do-over, 2.0, 89 reasons, and they still didn't come. And there has been an erosion of the fear of God in our midst for a long time that has brought us to a very calloused age in the church to where we are no longer concerned that our conduct may affect our eternity because after all, we have time. Faithfulness has not been something that we put a lot of emphasis on because we've got time. Uh, health has not even been the big issue anymore because we have time. Medical advancements have given us the benefits and luxuries of treatments and cures that we never had before, so now we have time. And the diagnosis today doesn't look like it did 40 years ago. And things have changed. And so here we are, and there's a heralding beginning again. And I've noticed an uptick of preaching um, among people that I know and are friends with in the ministry where there's, there's, a, there's a return and a, and a recycling of thought, and we're back again to that, that topic that we can't ever really fully depart from, which is Jesus is coming and you can't be an apostolic. You can't be a part of the body of Christ and that not make its way into your thought process sometime. But there is a nudge in the Holy Ghost that is, is trying to redirect us to where it's not a fleeting visitation of thought, but it's an abiding place of awareness that Jesus is coming and everything I do, every moment of every day of my life, <clears throat> 
is going to and is currently having an impact on where I'm going to spend eternity. And I think that before it's over with, Brother Gaddy, I may be wrong, but I, I think before it's over with, we're going to see a return to some of those three topics or all of those three topics, heaven, hell, and the rapture. And whether we want to acknowledge this or not, and I know it looks from in here, looking out there, it looks like the world we live in is so steeped in its sin and its lustful pursuits that they're not interested in knowing what we know about Jesus. But the opposite of that is actually the truth. We are living in a more desperate world than we've ever lived in before. And people are, and I, this is my, this is just me, and you, you can't blame anybody else for this. This is me thinking this, but I have given a lot of thought to, I've cast out a lot of devils in my life. And uh, I've seen people delivered from everything from Dan to Beersheba. But I am personally of the opinion that the prevailing spirit of our day that we fight in the church and out of the church more than any other is hopelessness. And we have more suicides going on in the world right now than ever in the history of mankind, or at least known uh, suicides more than ever in the history of mankind. If <clears throat> you were going to label suicide as a, a sickness or whatever, it would be the leading pandemic in the world. There's hardly a church I go to that somebody in that room is, is dealing with uh, suicide. Almost 100% of the places I go, there will be somebody, if there's five people, someone in that room is struggling with or has recently attempted suicide. Hopelessness is a driver of a lot of desperate acts that otherwise we would not have engaged in. You talk to people that have been addicted to drugs and alcohol, uh, one of the common responses to the question of why are you doing this is going to be because uh, look at all the mess going on in my life and I just can't deal with all this and it takes my mind off of it. I mean, the legalization of marijuana is, I mean, people are on board with that because it helps them to relax. And we've got people in the church taking medication to sleep at night. Well, you don't have to do that. Uh, there is a way to go to sleep at night. And for all of you that would say, well, I can't sleep at night, I got the cure for that. Have you ever laid comfortably in your bed with a Bible? Open? Committed to reading a full chapter or two before you go to sleep? You won't get past five verses. You don't need medication. <laughs> but we've, we have allowed things into our life that has really numbed us uh, to what the realities around us really are. And so here we sat in 2022 on the brink of 23. And I remember in 1986 when I graduated and, and people older than me remember even more this. But I, I, the stuff, I mean, this, for goodness sake, that was, this was Dick Tracy had one of these in the comic strips. When I was, anybody know who Dick Tracy is? Well, he had a little watch on his wrist, had a little antenna on it. And how weird that seemed to me as a kid, but I thought, wow, that'd be pretty cool. Did you know, I read a deal the other day. I'm going to get somewhere spiritual in a minute. Um, I read a deal the other day that said 80% of all the scientists who have ever lived are alive right now. That's how 
progressive we are in the advancements of technology, medicines, and everything else. We're building a kingdom as a world. The, the enemy is building a kingdom, and he's doing everything he can to establish his kingdom in the earth. At the same time, the calendar of God has mandated that the Lord is doing the exact same thing. The enemy has relegated ministry, I think, to a large degree of us trying to convince the pew to get on board with what God's doing. But that's never been heaven's intention. Heaven's intention has always been to present others with the gospel and with the truth and then leave you with the decision of what you're going to do. It has never been God's intention for us to say, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. <clears throat> and I'm going to tell you what you're going to notice in the days ahead, weeks ahead, months ahead, and should the Lord tarry years ahead. You're going to notice a departure of pulpit ministry from begging people to come to the altar. There will be a return of conviction to the house of God like it was back in the day. And I personally believe the conviction that we will feel in the house of God will supersede anything we've ever felt in my lifetime. There has to be a response to hunger. There has to be a response to uh, desperation. And when people come into the presence of God and among the people of God, there's got to be something that resonates from us to them that what you're looking for can be found right here. There will be a return to peculiarities of the church that we have shied away from from a long time. We have learned how to professionalize what we do as apostolics so that we're more palatable to our communities. And I'm telling you right now, the day is going to come, not because somebody just decides, okay, we're going to just go ape nuts every time we come to church, but our apostolic conduct is going to change. It is not enough for us to be apostolic in our dress. It's not enough for us to be apostolic in our worship. And you've got great music and singing, and I honor all of that very highly. And I love it, and it's always going to be a part of the body. But being an apostolic is not just about how good our programs and systems are. It's not just about how good we have managed to present ourselves to uh, ourselves. We're, and, and the truth of the matter is, what we're trying to do, I think, as a whole is impress us more than anybody else. We want to feel like we've done a good job, but the gospel is so powerful that in my work clothes on the street, a miracle can take place as God flows through you to somebody else on the job even. And so there will be a return to that freedom of apostolic conduct and behavior in the body of Christ. The days are going to come to where people are not going to wait on an altar call to come to the altar and receive the Holy Ghost. We are going to go back. I remember as a kid, now they, they were, I'm not saying we didn't have altar calls, but I'm telling you, I remember people getting the Holy Ghost in the pews during worship because this wasn't a concert then. They were leading us in worship. And I'm not slamming them. It's us that's taking a back seat on some stuff. We have grown accustomed to letting people stand up here and lead us and go, they go somewhere. They're tapping into something, but sometimes we're not getting on board with it. And if we really understood the spirit of ministry that's going on in here, while they're worshiping and leading us into gates and courts, we'd be out moving around the building, praying for one another, talking to people that have walked in. Because you don't know, but what that person sitting on the third row from the front 
is battling suicide and don't have the entire service. They may have come in here so desperate that if they aren't ministered to in a short order, they're going to leave before church is over and take their life before you can dismiss. So there is going to be an awareness that comes back to the body of Christ. And our desperation is going to match the desperation of the world. I was in Texas one time and <coughs> that platform was about this high and I was standing and I had just finished reading some scriptures and I look and a Spanish lady was coming down the middle aisle and <coughs> this arm was withered and this left leg was turned in and she was dragging herself and she had a little cane over here in her right hand. She was just shuffling down that aisle and People were praying. Nobody noticed her. And finally, she got. I just kept encouraging everybody to pray because I didn't know what she was going to do. She got to the front, and she did this to me, and I went down to where she was. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, I'm going to ask you the same question that I just asked my priest. And if you tell me what he told me, I'm leaving here just like I left there. And somebody is going to give me the answer I know exists. She said, I have, she used her right hand. She said, I have this huge hole right here in the middle of me. She was in her mid-70s. I think she said she was 72. And she said, I need to know, and it was heavy accented English uh, with a Spanish accent. She said, I need to know if there's something more for me that will fill up this void in this empty place. Well, obviously the answer to that's yes. And so I told her, I said, Yes, the answer to that is yes, there is more. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, but to build her faith, I'm going to heal her body first. So I said to her, I said, Mother, the Lord, and now by this time everybody's listening, so I got the mic, and I said, Mother, the Lord is going to heal your body first. And she grabbed me by my tie and pulled me, that's why I could wear them. She pulled me right down to her nose, and my nose was touching hers. And she said, you're not listening to me. I have learned how to live with this. I cannot figure out how to live with this. I don't care if he heals me. I need this field before I die. I said, I understand that, but the Lord said he's going to do both. I took this pinky and I crammed it into that withered hand. It's, it's all drawn up. And I crammed my pinky up into her hand and it was ice cold. No, no significant blood flow at all. And uh, I told her, I said, Mother, come on, let's, let's walk. And so we started from there, and we walked all the way around to that sanctuary side over there. Well, as we were walking, I noticed the temperature of her hand was warming up. I didn't say anything, though. We got to the other side, and it was like my, she was sweat, her hand was sweaty. And I said, well, let's just all lift our hands and worship God with Mother for what the Lord's about to do for her. Well, she lifted both her hands, and it dawned on her in about five seconds, hold on a minute. Well, I had to get a hold of her because she was about to have a fit. Well, that left leg was still drawn up. I said, come on, Mother, let's go to the other side. So we walked all the way around that sanctuary and got to the other side. Well, when we got over there, uh, I noticed about halfway across that leg started straightening up. And there was no more limping and dragging and dragging that leg around. She, she was walking normally. We got to the other side. I said, would anybody in here like to leap for joy with her and just thank God for what's about to happen in her life? Everybody starts jumping and people, it just went nuts in there and mayhem broke out and mother went to hopping and carrying around and I had to hold her down a minute. I said, hold on mother. Five minutes later, a few women had gathered around her and God filled her with the baptism of the Holy Ghost that fast. 
The point I'm making to you is they know where to come. But when they get here, our conduct, our desperation to meet their desperation has got to return to the body of Christ. No more are we going to be able to just say, hey, hang on, we'll get to you in a minute. <coughs> the gifts of the Spirit can, could, and should operate in every Spirit-filled person in this building. The gift of healing should operate in you. If somebody walks in that back door and they're sick in their body, you don't have to bring them down front. You can just tell them, you know what, I'm going to speak a word of faith over you right now. You're healed in Jesus' name, and then they can spend the rest of the service blessed and just being filled with the Holy Ghost for the rest of the service. But our expectations are going to have to change. And so the Lord's allowing some things to happen in our world. Do you realize that, that the political structure and systems that we have around us are not getting better? Have y'all noticed a continual erosion of it? And don't even start with me about political parties. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the plan of God. And I don't care if it's the most conservative Republican that's ever been voted into the White House. There is coming a day, as God says, it's time Certain things are going to take place in this country, and it won't matter who's in the White House. So we can quit being divided over that right now and just get back on board with being the body of Christ. Why do you think there's been so much racial strife in the world? Not just in our country, but in the world. Years ago, there was, we, man, we were, we were dialed in on Spanish ministries. We were, we were headed after it. And then so help me God if a presidential cycle didn't come around and one of the main talking points was the southern border. Well, guess where that ended up? It ended up on Twitter and, and social media and Facebook and Instagram and wherever all else. And we shut down a, a multicultural move of God in the church and the world because we got on board with the narrative of the communities that we live in. I'd say it's isn't real popular, but you, I'm going to get, well, let's just go around that stump again. When Obama was in the White House and all that stuff was going on in the Middle East and we had refugees going to Germany and America and everywhere else, we all got, in, we got inspired. They're bringing those Muslims to our country. They're going to, are you really, do we have that little confidence in the doctrine of the word of God that we're afraid that the Muslim doctrine is going to overtake the church? Are you kidding me? How little faith do we have in the word of God to be afraid that somebody else... So instead of saying, you know what, praise God, he's bringing people from countries we can't get into, we're headed to, we're, we're going to Minnesota, we're going to go evangelize somebody and convert somebody with the word of God so when they do go home, they can take a gospel back to a country that don't know him. But oh no, not us. We shut down that move of God too. Bless God, we're Americans. Well, I'm a patriot, and I'm going to go ahead and make somebody mad, but I'm a patriot. And I'm a Second Amendment nut. I got them and looking for a new one every day. <laughs> but if it comes down to that or the gospel, you can have my guns. Well, I'm standing up for our civil liberties. I'm standing up for the word of God. And if you think your civil liberties are all going to be intact on the day Jesus comes, you have lost your mind. Do you really think the enemy is going to allow the church to go through the end time without some persecution? And forget this pre-mid or post-trib stuff. None of that even matters. 
we're not getting out of here without some persecution. Because if God allows us to have the greatest outpouring of the Holy Ghost that the world's ever known without persecution, he's going to owe those martyrs some apologies in the end time, in, in, the, in the eternity. He's going to owe, what was the little brother that got crucified upside down? And, and the ones that got boiled in oil? He's going to have to apologize to them. I know I gave them a greater revival than you had, and they didn't even have to pay for it. So some things are going to have to change in the church. And coming in here week after week after week, your concepts of what's going on here have got to change. It's not just come to hear the bishop preach or to hear one of the other staff pastors preach. It's to be equipped for what? Harvest? Yes. But the swelling of Jordan too. We don't talk about the swelling of Jordan that much in the church. And we've got to stop letting the enemy divide us. I made this statement to Brother Gaddy in the office. When they were building that tower down there at Babel, Nimrod and his nasty mama had got this idea, and they run out there and decided, we're going to build us a tower. And then the scripture says that the Lord looked on what they were doing and said, they're going to achieve this. These two are actually going to get this bunch rallied together enough, and they're going to build this. I've got to, I got to stop it. And there is, in fact, a phrase in there that's <laughs> familiar to, to some other things that took place in Scripture, but they had a mind to work. The Scripture indicates that all those folks with Nimrod and his mother, they had a mind to work. They had one vision. And so the Lord said, if I'm going to stop what they're doing, I've got to change what they're saying. And they may be talking about the same thing, but I'm going to have them speaking about it from so many different languages and, and perspectives that they won't be able to understand each other. And he shut down what they were doing by affecting what they were saying and how they were still talking about the job. They were still talking about the mission and the vision for the, the tower. But all of a sudden, nobody could understand each other. And when they got to that point, then everything they were doing stopped. And there have been, if you think Satan saw that and didn't take note of it, you'd be naive. He paid attention to that. And he knew there was going to come a day, this day, when the church was going to need to be of one mind and one accord again. And there are examples of the body of Christ having one mind and one accord for the purpose of helping us understand the condition we've got to be in for this greatest outpouring of the Holy Ghost. We cannot have it and be a part of it if we are not one mind and one accord. That don't mean that we don't have different opinions about things, but you and I are going to have to be on the same page moving in the same direction. And so the enemy said, you know what, I'll go back and at that most crucial hour of the church age, I'll, I'll change the conversation points in their churches and I'll, I'll, I'll draw lines in the churches just with conversations and it'll be, uh, you got a right to an opinion kind of thing and, and we do and, and then all of a sudden that opinion takes precedence over truth and this opinion takes precedence over righteousness and this opinion takes precedence over humility and all of a sudden then the church has become fractured and divided and we are sitting at a moment where we are needed more than ever to be in one place, one mind, one accord going in the same direction but the enemy's worked hard to get us pulled in a hundred thousand different directions. Is this necessary? Is that necessary? Is this heaven or hell? Is that heaven or hell? Good night of living. A relationship with God is what's heaven or hell. And if I would immerse myself in that, the rest of this would take care of itself. God will show you in his word what is and is not necessary. But if our walk with God is based on necessity as opposed to I love him and I want to please him, then you're never going to get the picture and you're never going to be on board with what he's doing. 
This can't be you're here because you've got to be. It's got to be that you're here because you want to be. You've tried other things. You've seen what the enemy's got to offer. But your heart says what I'm looking for is found in the house of God. I want to be in the presence of God. I, I'm not here because I don't want to go to hell. I'm here because I do want to go to heaven. Certainly I don't want to be lost, but I want to be with him. I've never been loved by anybody like he's loved me. Nobody loved me enough to die for me. Nobody loved me enough to shed innocent blood. And I'm not willing to be distracted at this hour. I'm not doing it. So to do that and make sure that that doesn't happen, I've got to go back to my book of Acts identity. I've got to go back to what it is God expects Scott Shelton to be doing in the end time. Because that's where we are. The day will come that our churches are going to be targeted. Now, if we're not careful, if you're not prayed up, this makes you nervous. But if your heart's where it ought to be, and if your passion is what it ought to be, and if your direction and focus is what it ought to be, this excites you. Because this is what we're here for. This, I know, I know, what, who was that little fella uh, Vince Gill, if somebody wrote that, sang that song, Threaten Me With Heaven. I mean, honestly, before God, do you realize what the enemy has used to keep us bound up by fear? Eternity? <laughs> you, <laughs> are you serious? I'm trying to get to heaven. I don't want to be here. Your best life now? <laughs> That's nonsense. This ain't my best life. This is me preparing for what's going to be my best life. I'm trying to figure out how to worship down here. That's why when they're up here doing what they ought to be doing, you ought to be out in a few doing what you ought to be doing because this is us learning. Some of y'all are going to be real out of place around that throne. If you get there, you're going to be real out of place because everybody else is going to be worshiping. That's what this life is for, to teach you how to magnify God, to teach you how to dance around the throne, to teach you how to lift him up and praise him and give glory to him, to teach you how to love one another. If we can't love one another down here, we're not going to be able to do it over there. So all of what we're doing here is prep for what we're going to do over there. I'm not looking for a place of power and authority and eternity. I'm looking for a place to kneel down and get on my face around that throne. Y'all do what you want to, but Chucky gonna be laying down on that street of gold somewhere, magnifying God. I don't care if I get there with one leg gone and an eye put out and an ear tore off. I don't care what condition I'm in when I get there. I've just made my mind up. This world is not my home. I don't belong here. I'm trying to get over there. And whatever I've got to do here, I'll do it so I can spend eternity with him. But things have to change. If that's going to be my goal, Brother Smith, I don't have the right to an opinion down here. If that's going to be my goal, I don't have a right to prejudices down here. Turn that water to wine. Uh-uh. I ain't doing it. Oh, yeah, you are. You turning that water? No, I ain't going to do it. And then he says, woman, which I'm going to believe the interpretation of that is mother. <laughs> it had to have been because he survived it. Woman, my time has not yet come. 
He knew. He knew. Up to this point, if somebody's bed broke, he could fix it. If a bar stool broke, he could fix it. If a roof had a leak and his dad was a carpenter, he learned a trade. Some scholars suspect that because Joseph is no longer mentioned much, if at all, after Jesus' 12th birthday, that it's very likely that uh, for the next little while, Jesus was the breadwinner for their home. So the potential is there that he was a carpenter. And if he was a carpenter, everybody knew him. People were already calling on him. People went to him for their needs to be met. They went to him for things to be made whole in their home. But this was a whole different deal now. The dynamics changed. If I do what she's telling me to do, it wasn't that his time hadn't come. He was trying to push it off a little bit because the flesh knew that the Christ, he knew. What was he? He was a sacrifice. He knew from the day he came into this world, my whole purpose is to be sacrificed for the people of God. The flesh didn't like that. It argued with him again, with the Father again in Gethsemane. If it be thy will, let this bitter cup pass from me. There is always going to be a struggle when the time for commitment comes. When it's time to commit to a whole different level and it's time to commit to a whole different situation, to go into a whole different dimension of anointing, there's always a struggle between the flesh and the spirit. And if it be possible, can we have what we've had and what we're going to have with the same level of commitment we've always given? No, it's not possible. He knew if I turn this water to wine, I can't go back. If I turn this water into wine, I'm always going to be known as the guy that did this and there's going to be one need after the next that's brought to me and the more good I do in my community, the more they're going to hate me. And then there's going to come a point where they're going to have to deal with me and this is the point that I don't want to have to deal with as flesh because this is where the sacrifice comes into play and he knew, he knew if I turn this water into wine, I can never go back to just being a carpenter. And we are in that place now as the body of Christ. We are standing on a threshold that we've probably not ever been to, at least in my lifetime, where we are being told there's a nudge and a call of the Holy Ghost. I told you there's something in the Spirit that's, that's pushing us to an awareness that Jesus is coming. But for Jesus to come, I've got to get involved too. If, if what's going to happen in the end time is going to include me then I'm going to have to be committed and dedicated at a level that I never have. I'm going to have to be willing to be sent places that could cost me my life. But if I believe what I believe the way I say I believe it, then I've got to be willing to say yes to him anytime and every time he sends me somewhere, no matter where it's going to be or what it's going to cost me. And so here we are as a church. <clears throat> Well, we've done it. We've, we've done something, this, and it's beautiful. But I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost is standing in your midst in this season. Not just this morning, but in this season of this church in Cabot, Arkansas, asking you, are you satisfied here? And I think there's enough of a hunger, Bishop, that we're not satisfied here. And I, I think... I think it's obvious. I, I was sitting, standing there, and they're singing, and the worship going on. And I had this vision of a granite, just a granite wall 
out on a long, flat, just as far as you could see the horizon even. It was just all flat. And all of a sudden, out of all of that came this granite cliff, looked like. just It was mountainous. And the Lord said, I want to raise this church up to be that, that granite cliff. I, I want this church to be a fortified place. I want this church to be a stronghold of apostolic ministry. And I want this church to be an indicator and, and something that people can set their compass by. And I want this church to be an example of what, what I'm doing in the end time. But they're going to have to make a decision. You can go ahead and have your marriage supper and think about how good that wine would have been. Or you can have that wine. The reason there's always a hesitation with us when we get to places like this is because we know if I commit to this next level, the prayer meetings you've had up to this point have been awesome and it got you to here. But what's coming next is going to require a deeper level of commitment than getting here cost us. It is impossible to be fully apostolic and obedient to God and be understood by everybody you know and love. You know it's God when you can't figure out how to make it happen. If you can figure out how to make it come to pass, then it was you having a good idea. That wasn't God. Because what God requires of us requires God to see it to fruition. And God has always required of us one thing, obedience. I don't need to have a revelation about it. I don't need to have tremendous understanding about it. Uh, what I need is understanding and revelation about what it is that God's wanting me to do. And, and sometimes I get people involved in my life to kind of help me see the next steps, and I, I get that. But what that's going to bring back and all that's going to set in motion, I have no idea. All I know is what God's telling me to do. And the question is, am I going to do it or am I going to deny him and not do it? The man Christ was standing at a place where his mother was telling him, we need a miracle and it's time for you to do what you're going to do. And that marriage supper was blessed and uh, there, were, there were all kind of miracles that took place from that point forward. But Jesus knew, if I do this, I can never go back to that carpenter shop. I never get to go back to a normal life. And there's going to come a day they're going to pluck my beard. There's going to come a day they're going to beat me beyond recognition. There's going to come a day they're going to shove a crown of thorns down into my very skull and puncture through it into my brain. There's coming a day that they're going to thrust a spear in my side and water and, oil, uh, water and blood are going to flow out of it. There's coming a day, but also on that day that was going to come, the veil was going to be rent in half and the dead was going to give up the grave. The graves were going to give up the dead and all of these things were going to happen. God is requiring more of us at this point than he ever has before. But if we are going to be ready for the end time, the church cannot go ahead like it's always gone. We are going to have to change. And I'm telling you, <coughs> Cabot, Arkansas, you're going to have to make a decision. There's going to be all-night prayer meetings that are going to be held here days on end that nobody called and organized. God's going to begin to move and there's going to be people start showing up at this church praying. And there'll come a day when people are being baptized day and night in this building. You probably have to hire somebody to just be here every day to baptize people. 
There'll come a day when people in the community will come here during their lunch hour because their lives are so full of chaos and such a wreck. They're looking for help somewhere. And there's got to be a level of desperation here that says to them when they walk in the door at 12.30 p.m. in the afternoon and they've got an hour for lunch, I'm here, I'm going to pray with you. Come on in, let's go in here and pray. It's got to happen. If you'll say yes to that as a body, there will never be a day that the revenue to do what God has called you to do will not be there. <clears throat> it will be like God gives this church a line of credit at a bank that the interest rate doesn't fluctuate. It's based on your commitment. And as long as you're committed, the money's always going to be there. There are ministries sitting in this room right now that need to be activated in the very near future so that you can be sent somewhere. But I'm going to tell you what that's going to require. <clears throat> there are two groups of preachers in the church. There were those that went and those that were sent. The ones that went, you never hear anything else out of them. But the ones that were sent came back and said, Oh, Master, even devils are subject to us. We've been out here curing sick people and healing, healing sick people and curing diseases and casting out devils everywhere. So if the New Testament church in this day is going to look like that New Testament church, we're going to have to have men and women of God that are sent out to do great works. And if you're sent somewhere and it's just a storefront and there's three people there besides you and your family, you go ahead anyway because devils are going to be subject to you. Why? Because you were sent under authority. You were sent with a mandate, go there and establish the kingdom. <clears throat> it's going to cost because your peers in ministry are going to say to you, well, are you on staff yet? No. So you're, you're out here starting a daughter work and you're not on staff yet? That's correct. Man, you could be traveling, preaching everywhere. And some of you preachers in here, that's going, to be your, that's going to be part of the price. You've got to figure out whether you're willing to pay it or not. Am I going to go somewhere where I can get a steady paycheck? Do I want to be the senior man? Do I want to travel full time? Which answer to that is no. <clears throat> you want to stay right here under the authority that God has established here. And when God says it's time to send somebody, the man of God will say, I need you to go there. And when you go there, you're going to preach the kingdom you're going to establish the kingdom. You're going to drive out devils. You're going to heal the sick, and you're going to cure the disease. That's what he told the 70 to do. End-time revival is not going to happen because we just get some wild-haired idea that we're going to go start a church somewhere. No, I'm going to be sent out, and there's going to be a reestablishment of apostolic structure so that apostolic authority can be dispersed throughout an entire region. And our concept about the future has got to go from just being one church or one town. You've got to start thinking, we, we've got to start thinking regionally. I, I, how far north does our territory go? That's what the prayer's got to be. How far do we reach north? How far do we reach east, south, and west? What is our region? It's not just a town. It's not just Cabot. It's not just this county. God's given you a responsibility and a mandate for a region. And so our concepts, again, in the end time, God is standing at the door of this church and asking you a question. And he has been for some time now. But he's going to require an answer in the very near future. What are you going to do? I need you to step up to the plate and turn this water to wine. Are you going to do it? And you're going to have to consider the cost. Your time, you're going to spend more time in the house of God. You're going to spend more time doing the work of the kingdom.
vacation, I may or may not get one. My life will not be centered. My summer won't be centered around vacation. My summer will be centered around what is my kingdom responsibilities for the summer. The kids are out of school. We're doing whatever. What is our kingdom responsibilities? Well, Brother Shelton, we've got time. No, you don't. I'm going to tell you this in the Holy Ghost. The majority of you sitting in this room will be alive when Jesus comes. Ain't nobody jumping about that, are they? Well, Brother Shelton, I've heard that my whole life. Yep, you sure have, and you're going to hear it the rest of your life. But I'm telling you, I am, I am 100% sure, just based on what I feel in my spirit, that the majority of the humanity in this room will still be alive when Jesus comes. Now, I also have 12-year-old daughters, two of them. I don't know, Brother Gaddy, if, if they will have enough time to graduate from school, maybe go to college or whatever, and get married before Jesus comes. I don't know. And I'm not trying to prepare my children for marriage and the life hereafter, and, and, and y'all are going to live in this. Y'all just buy that property right there, and we'll all live. To, I, I'm not, uh-uh. I'm trying to prepare my children. Let's all go to heaven. And, and if they don't make it to 18 before Jesus comes, thanks be to God. Well, for their sake and mine. <laughs> I've had to give my kids to him. I've had the internet shut me down in more places than one because of content coming out of my mouth. And screens all over the country, we found out the next day on, on multiple occasions, uh, I was flagged on every social media platform they were putting it out on because I made some comments about a certain topic, and I won't do it today because I don't feel to do it, but um, man, do you honestly think <laughs> that you're not being loaded into a database? We've been so happy about online stuff. Ooh, praise his name. Man, are you crazy? That they've, they, the enemy has just been eating that junk up. They now know where we at. If they didn't before, they do now. And about a month and a half after that happened, the last time, I get a text from the government, some branch, some office, somewhere, wanting me to fill out a survey on topics associated with that one. I deleted it. And I said to my, I screenshot it and showed it to my wife. She said, well, what do you think was going to happen? Do you honestly think you're going to talk about that stuff publicly and there's not going to be repercussions? I said, no, I'm just... I'm just showing you what happened. I got three kids, Brother Gaddy. He stood in front of me and said, now I need you to turn this water to wine. I knew if I didn't, my kids wouldn't be a target. My wife wouldn't be a target. I knew if I did. It wasn't just me committing me. I was committing them too. But it's a price I'm willing to pay because I'm trying to get me and them to heaven. If you say yes to him, somebody come melodiously play that piano real soft. Give the people of God some semblance of hope. If you say yes to him, the finances to do what God has called you to do as a church will always be there. 
if you say yes to him, there will be an activation of ministries in this church, the likes of which you have never imagined. There will be people that have dormant ministries right now that nobody even really, he knows probably, but nobody else knows who they even are. There are going to be ministries that are going to come to the surface that will focus on certain areas and elements of our communities and societies where great revival and harvest is going to take place. But it's going to require a deeper level of commitment than what we've ever had to give before. And it's, it's not going to be popular all the time. And there are going to be people that are going to look at you and make fun of it and say, this isn't necessary and y'all don't have to do all that and you don't, this isn't required. Well, our church isn't doing that. It doesn't matter what somebody else's church is or is not doing. What we've got to figure out is what has God called this church to do and be. There must be, and I said this earlier today, but there has to be one spirit of ministry. That spirit of ministry comes through him. <clears throat> then the ministries under him uh, catch that spirit of ministry and disperse that spirit of ministry to everybody in the church under their authority. And so on and so on, it just keeps going. Until the spirit of ministry here repeats itself over and over and over. And we don't have to think about a recycling of things and we don't have to start over and get new ministry and new vision and all of a sudden it becomes possible for him to pastor the leaders. <laughs> there will come a day if this church says yes to that water to wine deal that the voice you hear preaching to you the most won't always be his. Because whether you know this or not, God did not just give this man to this church. He gave this man to his kingdom. Do you have any idea how widely respected and looked to this man is? Did y'all watch him at General Conference this year? You, you should be godly proud. But then, not just to have him but to have men of God under his ministry that have caught his spirit. And it doesn't matter if it's this man in the pulpit, that man in the pulpit, that man in the pulpit, that man, it doesn't matter. It's the same spirit of ministry. And if Bishop Gaddy's got to be somewhere else that day being applied to the kingdom because for him to say yes to that water to wine thing means he's not going to get to be here all the time. And starting different churches out of this church in this region, sometimes it's going to require him to be on location. And we've got to be mature enough people that whatever vessel that spirit of ministry flows out of in this building, there's not a hitch in our step at all. The blind will see. The deaf will hear. The lame will be raised, made to walk. The cripple will be restored. Why? Because collectively we said yes to whatever it is God wants us to do. <clears throat> and we're going to say yes to a spirit of ministry. Yes to an anointing, a corporate anointing that covers all of us. And it's not different personalities in the pulpit now. It's, it's a spirit of ministry in the pulpit. It's a particular anointing. There's a corporate anointing in that pulpit. And it doesn't matter who it is. It has the same authority to do the same works of the Spirit, no matter which pastoral staff member it is. 
If it's a home group or a corporate setting, same spirit of ministry. Is it going to cost you as a church? Yeah. Yeah. There are going to be a lot of people that come here because they found hope. But there are going to be a lot of people that you're saying yes to water to wine. It's going to cull them. They'd want to come hang out here. They'd want to come be a part of Cabot. But they're not going to be able to pay that price. The price of anonymity. We are going to see the day come where autonomy gives way to anonymity. And identity is gone. Individuality is gone. And obscurity of reputation returns to where it's one people, one mind, one voice, and one will to worship and work in the kingdom. And those will be the people that are already in the kingdom that the Lord will draw here. They're not going to come here trying to carve a hole somewhere and figure out, all right, this is my ministry. They're going to come here, and if you need me, I'm here. If you don't, I'm here. If your goal of ministry is a reputation, you're going to be very uncomfortable. Because I'm going to tell you what I know. He's already said yes to water to wine. He's already told him, I'll do it. Now the question is to you as a church, are you going to do it too? Are you willing for this building to be a gathering place for leadership and not corporate church services? Brother Getty, I can honestly see in the spirit you using this building to pastor and minister to your pastoral staff and your congregational leaders, elders, deacons, whatever. 300 and something people in here, 500. And they're leaders. They'll leave here and go minister to the body. And the truth of it is, a good many of you in here will probably be called on by God and your pastor to be a part of that. We're going to transition from being a taking people as the body of Christ to being a giving people. I'm no longer coming to church for what I can get. I'm no longer coming here because I need something from God. I got that at the house yesterday. I'm coming here looking for who I can minister to. I'm tired of just taking in. I'm tired of just being filled up all the time. I'm ready for God to flow out of me. In the last day, say to God, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Now we know what he's going to do. He's going to pour his spirit out. We know who he's going to pour it out on. All flesh. But have you ever stopped to wonder what's he going to pour it out of? He's going to pour it out of what he's already poured it into. That's us. So that's what I see. You are one of those places that the hand of God is on and he wants you to be a stronghold of apostolic ministry. That granite wall that's unmoving and it's not, it's not going to be overtaken. It is a constant like the North Star. It will be what people set their course by in the last days. There will be places like this that are called to be a place of strength and 
renewal to the body of Christ and to ministries. But it's going to take commitment like you have never been called to before. Will it be cheap? No. No. This price tag is the most expensive price you've ever paid for anything. It's going to require everything. Salvation's free. We don't pay for that. He did. But closeness, that's what cost us. So my question on his behalf is, are you here for fishes and loaves only? Are you just here for an occasional sweet touch of the Holy Ghost from time to time? Or are we here for him? If we're here for him, then the question of what it cost us is a mood issue. It's going to be a commitment on our part like it's never been before. <clears throat> I don't know when he's coming, but I know we're in that season. I do know that. The world system around us has changed so much. You preachers are going to be called on by the Holy Ghost to preach, take stands, biblical stands, not personal stands, biblical positions. If you're going to be a Christian, you've got to follow the book. And it's going to cost you. There'll come a day when there'll be people sitting in our churches listening to what we're doing. And then you'll be getting visited by somebody about it. That's a hate crime. You get a $25,000 fine. You can't say that. There's no way the church gets by without being persecuted by the enemy in this season. COVID was not the swelling of Jordan, but it is coming. I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer. I'm telling you that the greatest days that you have ever known individually and corporately are yet upon you today, right now. You're already in it. And I'm telling you, if you will simply say yes to what he's asked you to do, that water will turn to wine. He's not asking you to take a stand and then he's not going to meet you there. If you say yes to him, that water's going to turn to wine. If you say yes to him, the blind are going to see. If you say yes to him, the crippled are going to walk. If you say yes to him, barren wombs are going to have children in them. If you say yes to him, harvest and revival is coming. This is not just about what you're going to do, but you've got to accept the fact. Come on. If you'll say yes to him... He's going to say yes to you. Brother Shelton, I don't know how to turn water to wine. I understand that. Speak the word of faith anyway. Brother Shelton, I don't know what to do. It don't matter. Just be obedient. Come on. This is a time this morning of making a fresh commitment. Yeah. Let your voices be heard this morning of the Lord. I'm going to say yes. 
Come on, if you need to repent this morning for maybe being a little bit lax, do it. Make that commitment to him this morning. Lord, whatever you require of me. Yeah, come on. That water will turn to wine. Your family will come into the kingdom. You keep speaking it and prophesying that your children will walk in the back doors of this building. just surrender right here right now Lord I'll just lay it all on the altar right here and now I want to be apostolic I want to be obedient I want to be a part of what you're doing so bad that I'll just say yes to it right here and now Lord we're your currency to spend however you see fit so spend us in your kingdom Apply us to your kingdom however you see fit. Yeah. Come on, some of you are really breaking through to some places just in your own spirit. Some of the greatest moves of God I've ever had or been a part of were not in church. It was at home after I had made a commitment like this one today. When the full weight of what I had made a commitment to finally settled in on me and I'd find myself alone maybe in the den or in a vehicle, wherever there'd be such a visitation of the Holy Ghost. And I'm, I'm telling you, this isn't just a one-way street. This isn't just us saying, yes, we'll do it and hope he shows up. I went to this place one time, Brother Getty, I did not, I, my flesh was so tired, I didn't want to go. And the pastor told me, he said, this hotel's haunted. And I said, well, then why am I here? 
He said, well, nobody stays. Every time I put somebody here, they leave for daylight. And so I made my mind up, you know what, I'm not leaving. I may have to tie myself to the wall, but I'm, I'm going to stick it out. I didn't want to go. Being there was not, I, it was just not a convenient moment. And yet the Lord told me to go. And about 1 o'clock in the morning, I started getting sick, running a really high fever. And um, just all kind of bizarre stuff start, started happening. I'll cut to the chase. But the Lord spoke to me. He said, I need you to go downstairs. This is not a haunted hotel, but the enemy is trying to block me from doing a work here. I need you to go downstairs to the lobby. I go downstairs. He said, ask that girl behind the desk. It's like 1 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock, something. He said, ask her if she's got any ibuprofen or aspirin. So I did. She said, yes, sir, you look terrible too, by the way. I said, well, I feel pretty bad. So she goes around and gets that and brings it back. And the Lord said, now, she's the reason that you're here. You wasn't here to preach at this church. I need to talk to her. And this is the last chance I'm going to have to reach her because she's moving. I need you to ask her a question for me. Okay. Ask her if she's ready to quit carrying this heavy, bitter spirit that she's had since she was a teenager over what happened to her. She had been an apostolic over what happened to her as a kid. Somebody had offended her. She got her feelings hurt, and her whole family had backslidden over it. And I asked her, and big old tears started running down her face. She said, how do you know that? I said, I'm just telling you what the Lord told me. She said, yes, sir, I'm, I'm tired of it. I took that pinky again, it's powerful. I took that pinky and touched her right between the eyes. I said, then in Jesus' name, be made whole and restored in the name of Jesus. She fell out of that chair talking in tongues. I stood there and watched and worshiped with her and she gathered herself up and got back in her chair and we just prayed together for probably 30 minutes. We hear this noise. And a man is sliding down the stairs on his stomach. Tremendous pain, blood coming out of his body, kidney stones. He was in a mess. And he was crying. He said, could somebody please tell me where the nearest hospital is? My wife's coming down to take me. I've, I'm, I'm in bad shape. And she stood up and she said, uh, he's a preacher. He can pray for you. I said, oh, no. My work here is done. You're going to pray for him. God's going to confirm what he's done for you by what he does through you. She said, I've never prayed for anybody in my life. I said, well, today's that day. I said, just kneel down beside him, put your hands on his shoulder blades and, and just pray what I tell you to pray. And it works that way too. And I, I gave her just eight or 10 things to say. She said, he set up. He looked around at both of us. He said, okay, hold on a minute. I've got to go up and tell my wife we don't have to go to the hospital and then I'm coming back down here and one of y'all is going to tell me what just happened. I looked up and the sun was coming up. I said, well, it won't be Chucky. I'm leaving. She can explain all this to you. I didn't want to go. But when you say yes to him, that water's going to turn to wine. I was flying home from Louisville. And I did not want to take the early flight. It was like a five o'clock flight. I didn't want to take it. And Todd didn't want me to take it because he didn't want to have to take me to the airport that early. But the Lord said, no, I need you on that flight. So when I booked my flight, I booked that one. I'm talking about saying yes to that water to wine stuff. And I flew to Atlanta. I get on that plane. 
just a little regional jet, so we didn't have any upgrades on that one. But I'm looking at the most beautiful thing you've ever seen, an empty seat. Yes. Nobody here. It's 6.45, 7 o'clock. We're taking off out of Atlanta. And just before they shut the door, I hear, doop, 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 come down the jetway. I'm like, oh, my God. And there's several other seats, but I knew whatever that human was, they were going to sit right there. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, before you can get agitated, please hear me. This person is why I've got you on this flight. If you'll just say yes, no matter what he asks of you. So I had my Raycon earbuds in. She come in, sat down, and she ain't seen the first earbud in my ear. She talked, tap, 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 tap. And all these businessmen were leaning away from her. We're flying into Fayetteville. And they're all, she was loud and obnoxious. Sometimes that water is just a cool, still pot of it. And sometimes it's just a boiling cauldron of chaos. But if you'll speak to it, it'll turn to wine. She was so annoying. And finally we hit, I don't know, cruising altitude. And she said, you know, I've been talking the whole time. I hadn't even bought, and, and the language coming out of her mouth. Uh-oh. It was not sanctified vocabulary. And she said, I hadn't even bothered to ask you, what do you do for a living? I said, you know what? This is going to shock you, but I'm a preacher. And the look on her face, I loved it. She didn't know what to do. She was from Haiti. And all of a sudden, the Lord began to talk to me about that pot of water. He said, don't, don't get distracted by the language coming out of that pot. There's some wine in there. If you'll let me, I'll turn it into wine. If you'll just work with me. Okay. So all of a sudden the Lord spoke to me. I said, and she'd been, she'd been letting me know just how fraudulent the church was and blah, 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 blah. Well, she'd grown up in an apostolic church in Haiti. And the Lord said, uh, ask her about those crippled people she saw me heal. And if she thought that was fake. So I did. Well, all those guys that were leaning away, now they're leaning in. And she said, yeah, but. I said, uh-uh, uh-uh. Those blind people that received their sight, was that fake? Well, no, but. I said, uh-uh. When you received the Holy Ghost as a 13-year-old kid, was that fake? Well, no, but you don't understand. I said, uh-uh, uh-uh. When all of your family received the Holy Ghost, was that a fraud? No, but I said, well, no, you hear me. And at this point, I was as loud as she had been. I said, none of that was fake then. It's not fake now. God's still healing the blind. He's still healing the deaf. He's still healing the crippled. He's still raising the dead. I said, I've seen him do it three times right here in this country. And he's still filling people with the Holy Ghost. I said, most importantly, he'll deliver you of all of this bitterness because her pastor had offended her. And she and her whole family had walked out of the church. And I said, if you'll let God heal you right here now on this plane, he'll do it. Tears just started. I'm telling you, I don't care what that water, what kind of pot it's in. You just speak to it. And the last I saw of her before we landed, she was in her seat like this, both hands as high as she could get them. Tears just running. And I watched as a pot of old, nasty, stale, stagnant water turned to wine. If you'll say yes to him, he'll turn that water to wine.
So what you gonna do? You gonna say yes to him. And not just come to church, but start looking for the miraculous everywhere you go. Is that what you're going to do? If you are, would you lift your hands one more time? Brother Getty, I'm done. If you'll reach for that water and let the miraculous flow out of you, he will turn it to wine. 